0: This is episode 3, 2, 1. It turns out that in a world with over 80,000 man-made chemicals, many of which are toxic to the human body, that weight loss is no longer just about food and gym sessions. There are other factors outside of the food on our plates and the amount of heavy stuff we lift that can quite literally cause weight gain and totally prevent us from losing weight altogether, even when you're doing all of the right things. So on this episode, I want to bring to your attention seven areas that directly impact your ability or inability to lose weight so that you might find the path to creating a body that feels healthy, strong, and capable of doing everything you might want to do in your life. All right, let's dive into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope that you are well and that life is moving in the direction that you want in this new chapter that has recently become available to us uh, in existing as a human. Wasn't that a bit of spiritual woo-woo, the words that I just chose just then? Uh, In case you're new here, in 2024, it's my mission to coach 500 people to get control of their sugar cravings and sugar binges so they can stop yo-yo dieting, stop obsessing about food, and finally create a body that they feel confident being in. And if that's you, scroll to the show notes below and click the link to get in contact with me and or my team about looking into the programs and services that we run that help solve that problem and achieve that mission. If that's part of your health and wellness mission this year, you might be in the right spot. Now, today what I want to talk to you about is the multifaceted nature of weight loss that doesn't quite go very well or takes an extremely long time or that isn't actually going anywhere. And the reason that I talk about this stuff is because most people want weight loss. However, the underlying cause or the underlying problem is often not just there's too much weight on my body or I'm eating too much chocolate there's often many contributors to this actual problem. And unfortunately, as simple as we might like it all to be, and me too, the reality is that we are in a very complex and toxic world. And sure, you might roll your eyes at that, but the reality is that that's true. And we are humans that evolved in nature, spending 90 to 95% of our time outdoors, and the other 5% was in hollowed out trees or caves or huts that were made, and and we're exposed to all of these unnatural chemicals that you know the progression of uh, material development and apparatus for different things and building and construction and all of the all of the tools that we now have that allow the world to exist uh, often led to compounds and chemicals and and makeups of different things that are actually toxic to the human body. and there are also many things that were toxic to the human body before then however, over the course of time, trial and error, tribes and communities and animals, discovered what was toxic and what wasn't, and they just steered clear of it. Whereas now, it's almost impossible to steer clear of quite literally thousands of chemicals every single day that are toxic to the human body and that aren't meant to be exposed to the physical human. We have not evolved. Let me repeat. We have not evolved to deal with the bullshit that is in the modern world. Because some people listen to health hippies like myself and nutritionists and naturopaths and whoever it might be, They listen to us and think, oh, these bloody doomsday people just think everything's bad. And, I mean, I can explain to you how literally it's all bad. (laughs) That's why we joke by calling uh, me or what I've got to say or the podcast, Maddie Ruins Everything. The human body has not evolved to deal with this stuff. And so that's why we have to get really, really good at being a healthy person in order to be able to counteract this toxic world that we're in. Or if we want to keep enjoying certain foods or certain lifestyles, then we actually have to learn about all of these things and avoid them or figure out how to avoid them so that we can, you know, if we want to dip our toe in the water every now and then because it's delicious or it's something we like to do, we can. And we can trust that our body will recover. Um, However, in many instances, it's nowhere close to recovery and all of these different factors that contribute to the, the human body not being in a state of optimal body fat percentage then it's just going to get worse if we don't do something about it. So here I am to enlighten you, to bring the wisdom so that you can then do something about it basically. So we've got seven factors that need to be considered for successful weight loss or some of these factors you might be ignoring for that last little bit of stubborn fat that you want to get rid of or maybe you've tried all sorts of things and you just keep gaining weight, right? Um, And often when people say they've tried all sorts of things, it's usually just loads of different diets or loads of different workout routines. And that's kind of the extent of what they've done. So we're going to get into this today. We're going to, I'm going to rub my hands together and get into some of this juicy content. So we're starting with number one, which is stress. Stress. Why does stress impact weight loss or weight gain? Because stress triggers hormones, right? It triggers cortisol and adrenaline. Stress survival response hormones. And it also, when cortisol goes up, guess what else does? Insulin goes up. Insulin is the storage hormone when you've got sugar in your blood. So it pulls blood sugar out of the blood and puts it in storage, takes it to the muscles to burn energy or stores it in body fat. Um, and so when we're stressed, the insulin goes up, which means blood sugar goes up, which means often cravings and desire for food goes up. Because if you think about it, when you're stressed, when you're in a survival response, your body, the physical aspect of your body doesn't know if the stress is actually related to survival or it's just that you didn't send an email to your boss, which is actually not threatening your survival. So your body always responds to stress as if it's a death threat. I know that sounds ridiculous and there are varying degrees of stress, but on some level, it's always responding to the, (gasps) could we die, right? And what that can lead to is that you've got people that have got beer bellies, you know, that belly fat, particularly in men that ends up really solid um, we often call that a cortisol belly or a stress belly. Um, the other thing is that when your cortisol is up, it reduces the effectiveness of insulin to actually do its job properly, which means that you're then at risk of having toxic levels of sugar in the blood, right? And that can lead to all sorts of tricky situations. Prediabetes, is, is, that's a clear indication of prediabetes or insulin resistance. Um, the other thing is that when your st- stress response is kicking on, It inhibits digestion, so you're in the fight, flight, or freeze response, which is not rest and digest, which is where you need to be to successfully digest your food, to extract the nutrition from your food, and allow it to pass over into the blood, and then into the liver, and then where it needs to go in the body, right? So if you're in fight or flight, you're not digesting properly, which means that either you're not getting enough nutrition absorbed... And then that can lead to gut health problems, bloating, because you're, you've got food passing through the small and large intestine that is not correctly digested in the stomach to begin with. And so that can cause bloating. You can cause, um, you know, disruptions in the bacterial species and the colonies in there. You could end up causing, you know, all sorts of things with the flow on effects. So you'd have SIBO or CIFO or LIBO. There's a few different ones going on in there. So there's heaps of stuff that could go wrong there, which then might lead to constipation, diarrhea. Um, Unable to go to the toilet and pass everything successfully. Uh, There's just heaps of things that can go on if we're just stressed all of the time. You're able to say, Maddie, I can't stress less. Life's fucking crazy. I've got seven kids and three jobs and four wives and six husbands. And life is just a fucking roller coaster. And the reality is um, I don't have any of those things, so I can't relate. But I hear what you're saying. So what that means is that actually we do need to take some things off your plate. I know you're probably thinking you can't, but I'm going to challenge you and say bullshit. In a world that we're in now, where everybody's got access to everything, it's highly likely you have committed to too many things that you, and some of which you need to end and actually break up with. Um, and maybe you need to do that for some of the people in the family as well. You know, and people might argue me on this, but you know, giving kids access to every possible opportunity. Might just raise them to be really non-committal. <laughs> put them in one sport, put them in two sports or a sport and a um, and an instrument and tell them to commit to it, make them commit to it and get good at it rather than bouncing around all over the place, which means that you're going to different sports seven nights a week and you've got all sorts of shit going on. Anyway, I'm not here to tell parents what to do, but the point is take some stuff off your plate so you stressing, got less to stress about. The second thing is obviously you want to make sure that you're getting stress management tools in and I can put a link down below to my breathwork exercise 478, which is on YouTube. So please scroll down and click the link there in order to just calm down. You can download a meditation app, get involved in that. Meditations don't have to be long. There's plenty that are quite short and quite easy. But the point is, again, we want to manage this stress and find ways for it to exit the body. And if we don't, it's going to contribute to weight gain and preventing weight loss and all the things I just mentioned. Diabetic blood sugar levels, insulin resistance, uh, gut issues, all of that, right? All of that. The next one I want to talk about, which many people do consider, um, but many people don't add in in the right way, is number two, which is movement. So the whole point of movement is that we want to create a demand on the muscles to build and repair themselves which encourages your muscle to act as an endocrine organ, even more so than it did already, right? So increased muscle mass is absolutely a good thing. Now, you often see old people and maybe your parents or your grandparents are in this category, they don't have a bum. Their bum doesn't exist because they have been sitting down doing nothing for years or in a job where they're just seated all the time or they've just been seated at the kitchen table or in in their lounge room chair for 17 hours a day basically and they've lost their glutes, they're gone and they can't support their own body weight with their arms and this is not a good thing. This is not a good thing because the loss of muscle mass means that we are losing the ability to manage our hormones. We, again, we want the muscle, more muscle is a good thing and the more muscle we have, the more successfully it can act as an endocrine organ. You might say, Maddie, what the fuck is an endocrine organ? So let's the endocrine system in general is a hormone messenger system that it's basically sort of two-way communication between your internal glands and organs and the hormones that are released directly into the bloodstream that then travel to a specified location or organ or gland in the body. And in humans, the control center is the hypothalamus of your endocrine system and sort of the major endocrine glands, which you'll be familiar with, are the thyroid, the parathyroid, you might not have heard of that one the pituitary gland, the pineal gland and the adrenal glands and men testicles and women ovaries. That comprises the major components of the endocrine hormone system. So, the important thing about movement is that we are creating demand on the muscles, which is why you'll hear many people just like myself say that cardio is it's great for warming up and cooling down and, you know, doing it for pleasure, but at your primary source of movement should be muscle building stuff, right? We wanna lift weights, whether that be body weight through things like Pilates or yoga. Or beyond that, I would encourage most people to have a couple of sessions a week where they're actually lifting real weight dumbbells, barbells, machines in the gym, whatever it is. You're more likely to do injuries on machines in the gym. You wanna do barbells and dumbbells as much as you can reduce your injury risk. Um, But the point is we want to be developing muscle in the body. We don't just want to go and sit on the rower for an hour or just go for a jog for an hour uh, because cardiovascular health is really important and again, good for warm-ups. But if we're trying to optimize the human body, we don't want to be putting the body through too much cardiovascular training because it doesn't recruit enough of the correct muscles nor does it recruit anywhere near enough of the muscle in the body to have a huge payoff as a result of going to the gym. Often when we get stuck into cardio rhythms, our body can go into autopilot. It's using a small amount of muscles to do the work. Um, And so we only want to do short bursts of cardiovascular exercise, especially for those wanting to lose weight. However, however, if you are significantly overweight, you might also have an instruction or a direction from me or somebody that says you should just walk because people that are significantly overweight, walking might actually be weightlifting for you because you're shifting enough weight simply when you walk. However, doesn't matter who it is. Someone in front of me would get the instruction to do some walking and also lifting some actual physical weight in the gym. Remember, when you're lifting that weight, you want to make sure that you're able to uh, struggle by lifting the weight, but not struggle. So you do an injury. Don't be a bloody goose, right? Don't be a silly sausage. (laughs) Make sure that you're lifting enough that you struggle, but don't make it too light that you're just throwing it through the air and you can barely feel like you're doing anything, but also don't be silly. Don't walk in and pick up the heaviest dumbbell, start light. And then if it feels like you can go a bit heavier, go a bit heavier. And recovery is so important. Don't go to the gym the next day. If you're sore, If you're you're in pain, don't go push through the pain, especially if you're above the ages of fifty or sixty. Let the body recover before you go back, and over time you'll get better and better and better, and recovery will get shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, And then there's some you know your once your diet sort of matches that, that will also aid in recovery as well. But we want movement to be a part of the weight loss process in a way that allows your muscle to become an endocrine organ and your body fat to be encouraged to be burnt to be burnt. It takes much longer than we might like it to. And if you're going to do equations about how much you can eat so you can go to the gym and burn it off, it doesn't work like that either. (laughs) Remember, it's always about what does a healthy person do? Pick a number of days to go to the gym or do Pilates or yoga or whatever it is. And then your goal each week will be to hit that quota. Three times a week, that's the goal. Just keep doing that and your body will start changing shape. The link is in the show notes below. The next one, number three, which I've kind of touched on, it's a part of both of the other ones, but it's your hormones. And so this includes the entire endocrine system as a whole. So, you know, your thyroid, pineal glands, testicles, ovaries, all that kind of stuff, which then includes your sex hormones. What this can do is when our hormones are a bit out of whack, it can prevent weight loss from happening. It can encourage weight gain, even in low calorie situations. Um, and we're talking about stress before. So the way that sex hormones and the hormones in your endocrine system are built is is through a cascade of priority or a hierarchy of priority. And if you have stress, the resources in your body will be put towards building stress hormones and the parts that were used to build the stress hormones might be all used up. And so you can't actually build some of the other hormones that you need in your body. And if you go like that for 10 years or longer... No wonder you've got a thyroid issue or no wonder you've got low testosterone or no wonder you don't have a libido. Insert hormone-related problem. (laughs) No wonder menopause is absolutely a terrible experience, right? And so it's really important to be really clear about how your hormones are going, where they're at, right? And so you might need to get some testing if you've got some symptoms or some evidence um, about your health that says my hormones might be up shit creek without a paddle. And maybe that's a reason that I haven't been able to lose weight for a very long time. A lot of people find out that they've got issues with their thyroid. Um, A lot of people find out that they've got issues with their testosterone. Even me, and I'm like a health guy, (laughs) even I discovered that I had low testosterone, um, part of which I believe is genetic. However, that doesn't stop me doing all of the things to boost it, which I successfully have. Um, And no, I'm not taking TRT. I'm not taking testosterone, but I am taking a handful of different supplements that help my overall health, but also contribute to increasing my testosterone levels, which is fabulous. Um And same with women going through perimenopause, menopause, estrogen and progesterone all over the place can cause weight loss inhibition and challenges like that. But again, I think the one of the biggest and most common disruptors to the hormone system is going to be stress because it's robbing all of the normal hormones of their their materials, in order to be actually made and used as they're meant to be, instead, um, or in the first place. So, I would say that hormone this hormone one and stress strongly linked, strongly linked. So you need to make sure that your hormones are not up shit creek without a paddle. Um, so they, that's why you know all of this list that I'm running through right now are all things that contribute to successful weight loss. And identifying and acknowledging all of these things will mean that you'll be able to be in a body that you're really happy with, physically speaking, uh, and mentally speaking as well. Because all of the physical and all of the mental, it's all directly connected. Everything is inside the skin, your brain and your heart. And what I mean by that is your thoughts and your feelings are not separate from your physical body. We hold different emotions and different problems in our body when we think too much or we hurt too much or we're heartbroken or we're depressed. That stuff happens in your body. It doesn't happen in a cloud above your head. It happens in your body. So therefore, it has a direct impact on the physical biology that you have. And that might be all sorts of problems, right? All right. The next one is category four is detoxification or like most people, toxification. (laughs) And what I mean by this is not getting pissed. However, literally, there's no amount of alcohol that is not toxic to the body. It is all toxic in some way. However, I'm not really talking about alcohol what i am talking about is things like obesogens endocrine disruptors carcinogens all of this kind of stuff inhibits weight loss and you can find things that classify as obesogens so an obesogen by the way is it's a compound or chemical that either prevents weight loss or causes unexplainable weight gain. However, once you discover the obesogen, it's then explainable. (laughs) Um, So there's heaps of them and we explained the endocrine system before. Um, So this is chemicals that interrupt your hormone system Um, and carcinogens cause cancer. And you can find this stuff under the kitchen sink. There's heaps of these things under the kitchen sink, particularly for women, makeup brands and and creams and skincare routines. There's lots of shit in those. Um, It can simply be the paint on your walls. It's in food, all of the chemical additives to food. In the water, you really need to get a water filter to clear out the bullshit that comes out of the pipes and also comes out of just the water that is collected and used as drinking water. Uh, It's Yeah, you really need to filter that. There's lots of things and lots of ways and we're at about 80,000 different man-made chemicals that are in our normal world, especially if you live in a city, but it's pretty much the same in the country, just in lower exposure numbers, is that, yeah, these... Detox needs to be a part of it, and it might happen naturally with the diet you you choose to do, um, or the supplements that you're on. But you need to consider that toxification of the body it might need some detoxification. But more importantly, that that is causing inhibition. You're you're consuming or breathing in or putting on your skin and uh, obesogens that keep you obese. You know, you might be trying all of these things, and there's lots of kinks in this chain. You know that that connect it all together to allow successful weight loss to occur. Um, And then the next one, I'm very familiar with the next one. And you probably are too, if you are a regular listener of the podcast. If you're not, welcome. It's nice to have you here. Thanks for hanging out. Now, the next one is emotions and specifically emotional eating. And what I mean by that is that I've really never come across anyone that doesn't do emotional eating to some level. And for many people, what they discover is that their weight loss journey doesn't really matter when it comes to the physical. They've tried the physical. They've even succeeded with the physical many times before. However, they keep finding themselves back where they started, right? Back where they started. Every single time, they're just as overweight, if not more, and they can't figure out why. They can't say no to the wine or the sugar or the chocolate or the croissants or the uh, Uber Eats. They can't figure it out. They're like, why don't I have the strength? And it's not until you dive into the emotions that you can uncover the truth. What is truly driving your lack of commitment to self? What is truly driving your self-sabotage every time you do achieve the goal? Why can't you maintain it? Right? And it's very rarely because you're not strong enough. It's just that you haven't dealt with an underlying emotion. Most people go towards sugar, one, because they're addicted. But two, they got addicted in the first place because they used sugar as a dopamine source. Dopamine is the happy hormone, part of the endocrine system. It's a neurotransmitter. And it's, it's there to, for you to feel happy, pleasure. And so, when you put sugar in your face or any of the foods that I mentioned or drinks that I mentioned, soft drink, wine, whatever it is, you feel that hit of pleasure. It might be happiness or it might be love or it might be nurture or it might be connection or it might be relaxation or it might be burying your uncomfortable emotions and and burying them in happy little dopamine binges, right? And so without being able to figure out your emotions and navigate your emotions around food, you're going to eat food that leads to high blood sugar, which leads to high insulin, which causes insulin resistance and causes diabetes and then can lead to cancer and Alzheimer's and type 3 diabetes, which is what they're talking about um, dementia and Alzheimer's as these days because it's so highly linked to refined carbohydrate consumption, which most most things are uh, these days because it's so horribly widespread and hard to avoid. Um, And so what you want to do is as you get control of this emotional aspect, you'll find that the physical aspects become easier because you become not only more resilient, but you actually process stuff because you don't want to think about emotional eating and mastering emotional eating as just getting strong enough to avoid it. It doesn't work. Willpower fails nine out of 10 times eventually because the situation will come up, you'll get tired, you'll be worn out, you'll be depressed and you'll say, fuck it, doesn't matter, right? So emotional eating, we want to actually dissolve the emotion, identify the problem, work through it, sit with the suffering, sit with the discomfort, write it out, journal it, talk to a friend, talk to a psychologist, talk to a coach and process the emotion. So that we, in that particular situation, we don't actually go towards it. And this is something that my course and my programs specialize in doing. And so if you're someone that is interested in working on your emotional eating, your sugar cravings that seem uncontrollable, and you've tried all the physical diets, but you keep ending up back here, and you want to work on the emotions that are driving your eating behavior, or your sugar addiction, or your food addiction, or your inability to control that relationship with food, then you might want to scroll to the show notes. Feel free to click the link get in touch with me and we can chat and see if my programs are a good fit for you because if you are overweight or you've got gut health issues or you're already insulin resistance diabetic or heading in any of the directions that eating too much shitty food leads you in then we actually need to have a conversation now before things get to a place where you know they're irreversible we never want you to get there so please know that help is available scroll to the show notes below okay the next one the next one which is number six is sleep Sleep is really important. In fact, you've probably heard me talk about this on the podcast before. Sleep is the number one health variable. I believe that. And why I believe that is because when you're underslept, which I've been at periods of my life and even recently due to some life challenges that have popped up, it affects your insulin. Sleep, poor sleep, not enough sleep affects your insulin, which goes back to the blood sugar thing. And also, have you ever tried making a good emotional decision on no sleep? You get angry quicker. You're irritable, generally speaking, if you're underslept. It's you're overwhelmed more easily. Your emotional management absolutely sucks, right? You need to get sleep sorted because not only does it have a physical impact on your ability to process sugar and your cravings and your hunger, because and it makes sense, right? If you're awake more hours of the day, you need more calories in the body to keep you awake, <laughs> and that's why often people try and go and go to that super high um, caffeine. Calorie type drinks, you know, your Red Bull and your Mother and your Monster and all that kind of stuff, because it's a huge calorie hit. Because they've got they're trying desperately to keep this machine operating beyond its normal operational standards, right? Um, so sleep affects your craving for food, your desire for high carbohydrate, refined sugar foods, because it's quick, fast energy. Poor decision making happens. Poor emotional management happens, and this is often where people live in a state of being underslept, which then triggers stress, which then causes disruptions to the endocrine system, which then means you're more likely to eat shitty food, which then means you probably need to detox more. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Do you see all the ones I just mentioned are on a bed of good sleep? If you don't get sleep right, all the others are up shit creek without a paddle, right? So you need to get sleep right to be able to successfully manage all of the others. So that's the top six in the physicality of it all. Number seven, social circle or group classes. So the reason that I mention this is because as many of you may know or may not know, your genetic code is nowhere near as powerful as your zip code or as your postcode. So it's a thing called social determinants of health. And the reason that these are so powerful on the way that you will experience life from a health or disease perspective is that humans are pack animals and tribe animals. And we prioritize being a part of that tribe and belonging and fitting in more than we prioritize physical health, right? And fitting in and belonging and feeling like part of the team and part of the tribe and that we contribute and that we're you know a useful member of society, it produces dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. All of those are happy, love, connection, feel-good hormones and neurotransmitters, right? And so when you are not in a social circle, or whether you are not in a group that accepts you for who you are, you can feel pretty shitty about yourself and you're very likely in those situations if you're there too long to compromise your values, to go against what you want to do because you would rather fit in than risk being hated by the people in your suburb or the people in your workplace. And so this is those situations where we find ourselves just eating the thing because everybody else is having one and too many people are asking me why I'm not. Or we end up having a drink on Friday night or Saturday because even though we've said no a few times, the risk of being looked at as, as being weird or judged is too much compared to the physical cost of drinking the drink. So, we do it. So, it's very important to remember that the social determinants of health are profound. And so, what that means is that you either need to get an additional social circle which shares values of health and weight loss and gut health and all of the healthy person things that you want to embody. You need to get a new community of people that share those values or or you need to bring some of the people that you've got in your current circle along for you on the journey so that you can start to be the influence on them to change your entire social circle. And that's what I think is really good for people that can actually recruit their friends and family members to become healthy as well, is that slowly, one person at a time, one family at a time, one one social group at a time, we can actually make the world a healthier place and everybody can be somebody's healthy friend, which incidentally is actually the mission of my business, (laughs) for everybody to be somebody's healthy friend. So it's very, very important that you have either go to a group class or join a group program or get a social circle of people that are into health and wellness, which doesn't mean you need to abandon your current family or friends, but know that they will be pushing your button and triggering you and upsetting you by judging you for not fitting in with their tribe anymore or judging the group of friends that you're now hanging out with, they will attack that because anyone behaving differently to the majority of the tribe is an attack on the values of the people in that tribe, which is why people can get quite nasty when people start changing, trying to sabotage them and bring them down. And so be warned that this is all part of the challenge of actually, you know, changing into a healthy person and becoming a healthy person. And that looks different for everybody, by the way, I might add. Being a healthy person looks different to everyone and the bodies that you arrive at with being a healthy person is going to be different to the next person. You might be a woman that's short and got wide hips and got big boobs and got a small waist and wider shoulders. So your healthy body is going to look different to somebody who's maybe from Asian descent that doesn't really have a set of hips going on in the same way that a curvaceous woman might um, and that's extremely lean. Culturally and from a heritage and genetic standpoint, both of you are in bodies you're meant to be in. So remember, your healthy body is going to look different. It's the same with men. Some men are just built absolutely stacked like they just got muscle for days and they don't even have to try for it. And other dudes have to really, really, really try to put on weight. And that's me. <laughs> I, it takes me a lot to actually gain weight. And you're probably thinking, fuck you, Maddie." I wish it was hard for me to gain weight. Um, I apologize. Thank the Lansdowne lineage for, for that. But it doesn't stop us all having gut issues and heart issues and, you know, all of the other consequences of eating terrible food. So, you know, we're all paying our dues over here. But the point of this episode is to highlight that a weight loss strategy that doesn't involve or consider these seven factors, it won't get you to where you want to go. Sure you might find the first one the first or second time that's the variable for you and it might not be all of these for everyone, but I would argue most people living in the western world are negatively influenced by all seven of these categories and would absolutely benefit from going on a health and wellness journey that addresses these. Again, don't do everything overnight because you can't change it all overnight. Your your body will probably go into shock and whoever lives in your house will be annoyed with you. (laughs) That social circle will be turning on you immediately. So you want to start one thing at a time. You want to talk to the person that's taking you on the journey to make sure that they understand that all of these other factors could be at play. Now, also, we don't want to placebo ourselves into creating more problems than there are. So don't just assume all seven things with me are absolutely fucked, right? Don't think like that. Um, the point is here for you to consider that, oh, maybe there are four or five other things that I've actually never thought about or even never tried working on. All of these can be compiled into one simple strategy um because they're all connected, as I said before, with sleep, you know you, you heard before how pretty much everything sits on it on the the good bed of sleep or the terrible bed of sleep. All the things above it are impacted in a negative way. so it's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle transition that you need to undergo in order to make all of these areas regularly attended to because the idea is that as a healthy person, these are all things that you naturally tend to or naturally hold good standards for. Managing your stress, detoxing your body by simply not needing to detox your body, by having good healthy products in all areas of your house, not just your makeup and not just filtering your water, but every product you can possibly get that's actually GMO free and natural and removed of all possible chemicals and only has food ingredients and all that kind of stuff then maybe you don't need to really worry about detox too often managing your hormones managing your stress having a regular stress routine making sure that fitness and movement are part of your normal lifestyle you know eventually we can get there working on your sleep don't expect to get eight hours of sleep the first time you do it if you're at four hours then we want to try for four and a half hours and build up that muscle and then slowly progress so Thanks for listening to this episode. I wonder if this has opened your eyes a little bit. And if it has, can you please share this episode on social media? Simply take a screenshot of this message, share it up into your socials, give me a tag, um, or send it to somebody that you think might have been trying to lose weight for many years and hasn't been able to. And maybe there's something in here that they'll hear. That they'll think, oh, okay, I never considered that that would be an area of weight loss or you know, preventing weight loss or actually contributing to weight gain—that I've actually never considered. Because if we if we don't get on top of this, the truth is that early death and disease are a long term consequence of not getting control of your body fat situation. Um, and I don't want that for anyone. And in my experience, most people actually need to do the emotional work first before they have the skill set to successfully do all of the others. Because they can do all of the others for a short period of time using willpower. And then willpower runs out, they fall off the bandwagon, and then they complain about their health issues for the next three years until they're in a situation where they're in so much discomfort that they repeat the cycle by signing up to a new thing and then forgetting about it. So if you do the emotional work, then you've got the skill set to be able to navigate tricky situations and problems that show up in your physical body and in your, your actual life rather than be victim to those things and become a character in the story that somebody else is telling. All right thanks for being here. I hope you've got something out of this episode. It's that time of year where a lot of people are thinking about this. And if you're listening to this episode at any point in the future, well, you're probably already thinking about this. So it really doesn't matter what time of year it is. So again, everything you might need is in the show notes below. Scroll down, click any links, get in touch, have conversation with me, join all of the things that we've got going on. There's always plenty. And I appreciate you hanging out in my world for a little while. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Bye. Hey, Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned anything at all, the gift of your five-star rating would be incredibly helpful. And what's even more powerful is if you write a review. You can do it below each episode on Spotify every time an episode comes out. And inside Apple Podcast, simply find the main page of this show with all the episodes on it, scroll to the bottom, hit write a review, share your amazing feedback, and then hit send. It helps this show grow tremendously and allows me to successfully invite bigger and more famous guests each time we do the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us climb the charts, climb the algorithm and help more people. Oh, and by the way, I have a short disclaimer as well. I just wanted to quickly remind you that the information provided on this podcast is for general informational purposes only. While we strive to bring you accurate and up-to-date content, it's important to note that a lot of this is mixed with opinions, stories, and ideas not supported by mainstream science or medicine. Any advice or suggestions should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult a healthcare provider before making any decisions about the health and wellness of you and your family. Remember, too, that what works for one person may not work for another. And just as we promote on the show, each person is responsible for their own health decisions. Thank you for tuning in to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. And now, the next episode. Here it is.